Most of us have heard it before. God is a God of love. But this raises a question. Why is there suffering? We see wars. We see social injustice. We see famine. And even on a personal note for us, God can feel so distant. Does God even care? You see, this is a question that comes up time and time again. Does God care about the state of the world? Does God even care about me? What a question. And thankfully, there is a very encouraging response. If I was to ask you, what is the lowest point of your life? A time where you felt helpless. A time where you felt alone. A time where you felt that no one cared, especially not even God. Uh, for me, maybe some of you have heard me tell this story before. If you haven't, when I was 15, my dad went to prison for something that he didn't do. And I was 15. And I thought, God, how can you abandon me? How can you abandon my family at this point in time? How can you abandon my mum, who is essentially now a single parent of seven kids under the age of 18? How could you do that? It got to the point where I was asking this question time and time again. That was starting to push me away from my faith in God. But to cut a long story short, if it wasn't for my dad going to prison, I wouldn't have gone to a camp run by the Prison Fellowship in Australia, and I wouldn't be standing here today if that didn't happen. It took years to come to fruition, but in hindsight, I can see that God cares. But at the time, it really didn't feel like it at all. I felt so alone, so isolated, so uncared for. And if that time we spoke about was years ago for you, or maybe you're there right now, the question is, is God caring? Does God care? Is a question that we aren't immune to here in the church. So let's uncover it a bit. I wholeheartedly believe that God cares. Not because I'm a pastor, not because you know, I grew up in a, in a Christian home, but I believe God cares because there are three very clear evidences of this. The first evidence is that we are his masterpiece. You see, when God created the world, when God created the world, he created the heavens and the earth, and he said that it was good. When he created the sky, he said it was. When he created the land, Created the stars and planets, the water and all the life in it, the creatures on the land. He said that all these things were good. However, when he created man, what did he say? It was very good. We are God's favorite creation. When he made man, he didn't say, you know what, I'm just going to make man the same as the plants and all the life. I'm going to make him above everything else. 
And this theme is echoed throughout the whole word of God. Isaiah says that we are worth more than gold. Paul says that we were purchased at a really high price. Jesus says that we are above sparrows. See, the fact is we are of tremendous value to God. And that in itself would show us that he does care about us. Now, the main text I'll be reading from this morning, you may have read it before, but we're going to uncover it a bit more. But I'm going to pull one verse out of it right now. That's Psalm 139. And if you're reading out there, we're, doing, we're going from 16. And the context is that Psalm was written by a man named David. And David, if you know anything about David's story, he knows all about what it means to feel alone, to feel isolated from God. So this guy, well and truly, is some sort of authority on this. So Psalm 139, 16, David says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Think about this for, for one second. God saw our unformed bodies. I have no idea what this looks like, and any metaphor I try to, to show you is going to fall drastically short, but I'm going to try, okay? So, um, who, who remembers a TV show on a little while ago? That's probably Axe, I don't know. It's called Ready, Steady, Cook. Do we know this? Okay, the premise, if you don't know what it is, basically a team gets a bag each, okay, and they have some ingredients. Sorry if you guys can't see over there. There we go. Is that better? Yeah, they have some ingredients. And the idea is that they have to make uh, it's a really good dish out of these really random ingredients. Something like kind of chocolate and turkey or something. I don't know, something really weird. So I see it like this. God had the ingredients for us sort of out on this table. I've always imagined it like a table. I don't know why. But he said, okay, you know, we're going to... Um, here's some uh, goji berries. Who knows what goji berries are? No one. Yeah, a couple at the back, great. Goji berries, uh, what else? Oh, let's get some pickled onions. You know, this, this will go out quite well together. And let's go with some nutritional yeast powder. <laughs> Who knows what to make? No, no one's going to raise their hand because you don't want to call you up on stage. But very similar to this. The parts that we are made up of, it was just nothing. It was unformed. And if you've seen Ready, Steady, Cook, some of the dishes really come off nice, some not so nice. You'd be, pretty, you'd be uh, hard-pressed to make something good out of these three ingredients. But I can say that God never makes mistakes. God always makes something that's unformed and just sort of, I don't know, this doesn't seem too appetizing to me, but he makes it beautiful, he makes it great, because in him all things are perfect. So he saw our unformed bodies. What sort of picture comes into your mind when you think of that? That's where the love that God has for us, that's where it started. See, we are his masterpiece. We are made perfect. Why? Because we're made in his image. And I love, Paul goes on to this a bit more in Ephesians 2, verse 10. He says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, some versions say masterpiece instead of handiwork. But he's saying that we are created with immeasurable value. But why? 
because we have immeasurable purpose. And that is to go into all the world and share the gospel. The second evidence is that God knows us better than we realize. He knows us better than we know ourselves. As I said, I'm going from Psalm 139, so let's go from verse 1. We're going to unpack this bit by bit, because this chapter here, if I'm ever doubting my worth, if I'm ever doubting my calling or my purpose, I look to this passage every single time. So let's go from verse 1. David cries out, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. So here David is saying from the get-go, this is the precedent I'm going to set. God, this is the truth. This is the overarching truth. Everything I say is going to come back to this point. And when it says in verse 2, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Now, God knows the big things, but he also knows and cares about the small things too. Like if my kids fall over and you know, really hurt themselves, I, you know, I'm, I'm onto it pretty quick. But there's times when they show me stuff that I don't, it sounds bad, but I don't really care about. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to watch the footy or something. I was trying to watch the footy. Now, this is really bad. Okay? I don't watch a lot of footy because I haven't got a lot of time, but I watched Collingwood play Geelong, and we actually beat them, which is amazing. No worries, Tim. Um, so we, uh, we watched this game, and I'm like, we're going to win. Let's turn on. I was going to watch the footy, and my daughter Emily sits in front of me with a balloon, and the balloon was obstructing the TV for three quarters. Kept on putting her arm down. Up it went again. But I had a choice. Do I take an interest in Emily or the footy? I chose Emily, just so you know. Isn't that right, Sam? Let the record show. But God cares about the small stuff in our lives too. I used to think, oh, there's no point praying to God about this because it's so small. God's got wars to worry about. He's got world leaders. He's got to keep Donald Trump in line. Why would he care about my little problem? But God cares about the small stuff. When you say, don't sweat the small stuff, God does because he cares about you. And then in verse 3, he says, you search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Again, God knows everything about us, big, small, in the middle. He knows what's going through your mind right now. Maybe I don't want to know, but he knows what's going through your mind right now. I don't know about you, that is so reassuring. Verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Now, I've been married to Sam for nine and a half years. That seems like an eternity to some of you. For some of you, you think, oh, you're just you're spring chickens. But I like to think that I've gotten to know her pretty well in those nine and a half years. I know when she's happy. I know when she's upset. <laughs> Do I ever? But you know what? I still get it wrong at times. I still get it wrong. And this shows me that even in our most intimate relationships, we can still get it wrong. That we don't actually understand someone. But the problem is, when we take this framework, this mindset of relationships, and we apply it to how God sees us, it falls incredibly short. 
God knows us inside and out. He knows everything we say, good and bad. You might think, this is creepy, Luke. Now, just bear with me. It gets really good. In verse 5-6, uh, David goes on. He says, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high I cannot ascertain it, uh, not attain it. So one part of this passage that really stands out to me when he says, You lay your hand upon me, but you hem me around. And what this means is that he doesn't just say from afar, you'll be right. He actually gets around you. We have this loving picture, this amazing picture of God actually getting down and around us when we're down and saying, I love you, I care about you. How do we console our friends or family when they're upset? You might give them a hug. You might get around them. If you're a bloke, you might pat them on the back and tell them to rub some dirt in it. But whatever it is, we get around people. And this picture was hard for me to... Yeah, I know. This was um, in 2002. I was 18. Uh, Collingwood made the grand final. If you haven't picked by now, I'd go for Collingwood. Um, Collingwood made the grand final, and I thought we were no chance. Uh, we were really close near the end, and the McCartneys were like this. The Brisbane Lions, this guy named uh, Jason Ackerman has kicked the winning goal, and I cried with Paul Lucuria. Okay, this is Paul Lucuria after the game. And the coach here, Mick Malthouse, he actually gets around him. There's nothing he could have said, nothing he could have done. But all Mick did was get around Paul and said, mate, I don't know what to do. I'm sorry. Let's, let's, I want to console you. And this is what David is saying in this passage, that God gets around us. He embraces us. He lays his hand on us. He hems us in. He gets around us. He consoles us. And what a beautiful image that is. Verse 7, David continues and said, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is the place of death, you are there. If I take the wings in the morning, of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. See, God is everywhere. That's a word we call omnipresent. Again, this used to freak me out as a kid. Really bad, big time. My dad was a pastor and he used to always tell me, God's watching you. He didn't tell me why that was a good thing. But eventually he said it's a good thing because he means he cares for you. Like when your kids are doing something dangerous, you want to look out for them. You don't want to be a helicopter parent and hover over them, but you want to watch out for them. This is what God does for us. God cares and he's watching us when we're on the mountaintop, when things are going so well, and when you're in the darkest and deepest valley, God is there for you as well. He cares for you in those times. Which of those is true for you here this morning, right now? Did you walk in on top of the world? Life's pretty cool. Your family's going great guns. You've got a great job. Or maybe you're thinking, you know what, I'm going to try and do this church thing one more time. I'm going to drag myself to church again. And then go through the week again. How am I going to do this? Whichever of those circumstances is true for you this morning, God is there. In verse 10, 
Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Again, we have this beautiful image of God, not just getting around us this time, but actually holding our hands and leading us through the darkest valleys. The thing with dark valleys is they're dark. You can't really see what's coming next. But God has gone before us because God is light, and he he has walked the path before we have. Now, I used to think, again, when I was going through problems, God would just stand from the clouds. This is what I thought. Stand from the clouds and just say, they're there. Or something really deep, like, thou art comforted, for I am the Lord your God. I'm sure God doesn't speak King James English, but he might. I don't know. But again, there's this physical touch component of his comfort. Sure, he wants to give us words of encouragement, but he wants to get around us. He wants to walk with us. It's not allegory. It's not metaphor. It's what he does. He's a God who is invested. Verse 11, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Nothing phases God. Nothing phases God. Again, God is light. He's gone before us. And God is a master. And I mean this. He's a master at making something so bad, something so dark, that you think there's no way this could possibly turn around. And he uses it for his glory. And he uses it to make sure that people come closer to him. In verse 13, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Again, this unformed body imagery that we have. And fearfully and wonderfully made. I used to read this and think, well, what does that mean? Is that, isn't, fearfully, isn't that a bad thing? Isn't it, what's going on there? What it means is that God is sovereign. God is in control of all things. And isn't his sovereignty, he chose to give us the free will to accept or deny him. That's what it means when he is fearful. He's like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a gamble on this. You know, I want them to come to me willingly. I want them to come to me lovingly. This could go either way. Like I was washing the dishes and my son wanted to cut up a banana, so I handed him a knife. What could go wrong? He's five years old. And I looked at him and said, Isaac, I'm trusting you. And he did did the right thing. Was I fearful giving him the knife? Absolutely I was. His sister was right there. Don't tell the HS. (laughs) It was a plastic knife. Um, But that's exactly what God does for us. He made us where we can choose to accept or deny him. And wonderfully made. Just look at how intricately the human body is put together. It's incredible. But it's not only limited to our bodies. He gave us a spirit that can seek him. He gave us this connectedness where we can come to him. We are indeed fearfully but wonderfully made. And going on, wonderful are your works, My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. 
Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now this part here is just incredible. Again, he saw an unformed substance. But he goes into detail later and says that all the days in our lives were written well before one of them came to be. When I was going through that stuff with my dad in prison, he knew I was going to be standing here this morning talking to you guys. He knew that you guys would be here this morning. Does that mean he made you be here? Absolutely not. It means that he knew, he had foreknowledge that you guys would be here. And God is outside this concept that we call time. That's, I think that's the problem that we can have, not just as, as believers, but people throughout the world. We put God in our own little boxes and said, oh, well, that can't be possible because it doesn't fit into what I know as reality. Well, God's outside that. God surpasses everything. When we limit God, we limit the impact he can have in our lives. This truth took me years to understand. Don't limit God. Expect that he can go over and beyond And if you are in that dark place right now, don't think, oh, there's no way I'm getting out of this. You're questioning God. Just say, God, you can put me through anything. And I know that this might be harder. This might be tough right now. But in five years, I know, God, you can make it into something absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a God I can trust. This is a God that I know cares And we're coming home in this passage now, 17, 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Now, I've got one more youth pastor analogy for you. I know you all love them. This is um, some sand that I commandeered from the, uh, the kids' wing. Uh, it's really wet, so I'm doing this for you guys. Can we say that? So this is a, just a bucket of sand. I don't know how many cups there is, probably three cups. How many grains of sand do you think are in that? If you win, you get this jar of pickled onions. <laughs> or you can choose the goji berries. Or the nutrition. There's only like a quarter left, but hey, it's still it's nutritional. How many grains do you think are in there? Any engineers in the house? How many else? Not bad. What do you want? No, no. Um, <laughs> uh, I did the, uh, the loose math thanks to Google. And um, because it's wet, it's even more. There are between uh, about 75 million and 125 million in that grains of sand. You wouldn't think that, would you? It is pretty fine, really fine. But think about this. Think about the one person in your life that you love the most. Parents, don't look at your kids because they'll know. But that one person in your life, do you have 125 million thoughts about them? 125 million. If I asked you to write them down, how far could you get? God has that and much more about each one of you. The translation says, all the sands on earth. How many of those buckets do you think are on earth? How many buckets worth? (laughs) <laughs> a lot. Ooh, a lot. So what I'm saying is that 
God has a lot of thoughts about you. When you think, God doesn't care about me. I'm going through this. God doesn't care. I lost my job. God doesn't care. I feel distant from God. I haven't felt his touch in a while. He doesn't care. Think of that bucket. He does care. He does care. That's an image that gets back to me every single time. And in 1 Peter 5.7, Peter says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now we covered this in night church a little while ago. The word that stands out here is cast. That literally means to actually pick it up like a fishing net and throw it as far as you can without even caring where it goes. Just saying, God, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know where to throw it, but I'm just going to throw it to you. It doesn't say, you know what, pick off parts you want and then just give it to him and hold on to the rest. It doesn't say just wrap it up nicely and give it to God. It says, no, actually pick it up and get rid of it. Throw it into the abyss. Don't even think about it. Why? Because he cares for you. This morning, do you need to cast all, not just some, but all your anxiety to him, all your troubles? Whatever that looks like for you, I have no idea. But this is the truth. He cares for us and we can rely on him. And the last point is that there is a gospel truth in the fact that he cares for us. This is how I know. He cares for us because he cared enough that when all was lost, when we chose to sin, when we chose to reject him, he still made a way for us where we can be reconciled back to him. This is the biggest evidence that someone cares. We can get lost in layer after layer after layer of philosophy and theology. I love theology, don't get me wrong. I love all the hermeneutical stuff, I love it. But the gospel truth is that God cares for us and he created a way. He could have easily said, you know what, they've messed up. I'll start again. No, he provided a way. He cares for us that much. But Luke, how can God care? I mean, this world is messed up. This is a fallen world. What's going on? Why doesn't God intervene and make all things right? The fact is, he has. The question isn't, why is there evil in a good world? This world isn't good anymore. The question is, how could any good possibly exist in a fallen world? And that is because God is here. God is here. He will make things right again. Revelation 21.4, when John's writing this letter of Revelation in the Isle of Patmos, when Jesus gave him this revelation, he says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things, i.e. sin has passed away. Now this is true of Jesus' second coming, but it's particularly true of where things are going When Jesus comes back, and or when we go to heaven, there will be no more of this anxiety, no more of this sin, this trouble. But God cared enough that he will wipe away every tear, every shred of anxiety. So where are you right now? Have you forgotten about the thoughts he has for you. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? Not even one grain of sand. God doesn't care. He does. 
Maybe you're on that mountaintop and you're like, you know what, church is just part of my week. That's cool. You know what, if that's you, awesome, great. But God still, is still thinking about you and he still cares about you. If you're in that deep, dark valley, he still cares about you. Maybe you've tried it all. Maybe you've prayed time and time again for God to heal a situation in your life. Why it's not happening, I have no idea. Same as I had no idea when I was 15 why God wasn't getting my dad out of jail. I had no idea, but now I do. You know the old Pantene ad, it might happen today, today or tonight or tomorrow. It, might, it will happen. I don't know what it was in the 80s. I was born in the 80s. But um, <laughs> what happened today might happen tomorrow, but it will happen. And this, the fact is that God will be seen in your situation. He will show himself. Is God caring? Absolutely he is. I've seen it in my own life, and I've seen it how he works through other people. So it's up to us. Let's cast off. Cast. Pick it up and get rid of it. Throw it away. Cast off anything in our lives that are weighing us down. Let go and let God do his work in our lives. God cares for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. We thank you that you are a God who cares. Father, we acknowledge, Lord, that there are times when we can feel so alone and so disconnected and so isolated where you don't even hear our prayers. But Father, we thank you that you are a God who is invested in us, Lord. You are a God who is interested And Lord, as we might be able to forget these truths from Psalm 139, Lord, we pray that you bring us back to your word. We pray, Lord, that you bring us back to that place in faith where we start to see you work in our lives for the first time. Bring us back to that place so we can see you so clearly. Lord, in a world so absent of care, in a world so absent of love, Father, we pray that we can acknowledge that you care for us and you care about the state of the world. So Lord, if we're on that mountaintop or in that dark valley, Lord, we pray that we can see you through all things. In your precious, mighty and sovereign name. Amen.